Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. So John chapter 14, and we are going to be talking about which verse specifically this morning? Anyone remember the location of it? John 14, verse 6, right? We've been reading the whole section, but we're really focusing in on verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except for me. You cannot enter the presence of God apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only way in. And we talked about the way, the truth, and the life, and that referred to the entrances into the, tab- the different segments of the tabernacle, all right? The way into the court, um, the truth, the way into the holy place, and then the life into the holy of holies. And we focused the last couple of weeks on what it means for him to be the way, right? And that he wants us to walk his way, right? And then last week we talked quite extensively about what it means for him to be the truth, and that there really is only one truth, and if it's not true in every circumstance, it's not truth. Correct? But Jesus stands firm. His word will remain true. I remember an old song back in the 80s that came out. It's called, His Word Will Stand. And you know, his word can refer to his Logos word. It can refer to the living word as well, Jesus Christ, right? And it says, his word will stand, his word will stand. Though stars should fall, mountains turn to stand, sand, if no man believes him, still God will be true. Okay, and that's what we have to rely on because his promise is sure, his love's going to endure because forever his word's going to stand. Okay, his truth remains sure no matter what else comes. No matter what's going on in our world, wars, rumors of wars, cancel culture, if I dare say that word, can I, can I say that and not get kicked off Facebook? We'll find out, right? But no matter what's going on, Jesus still stands true. Everything he said still stands. You can deny it. You can try to make it into what you want. But someday we're going to stand before him. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. All that matters is what he says. Right? There would be no other way around it because he owns the rights to us. Right? So today we want to focus in on Jesus as the life. And when we think about that, the obvious comes to mind, right? That if we want to be able to have eternal life, it's only going to happen as we rely on Christ, as we profess Him as our Lord and as our Savior. We accept what He's done for us. But can I tell you, it is much, much more than that. Because... This concept of him being the life isn't just to breathe life in you so you can suck air. Okay? 
It is to help you have life, but then to also be able to live life to its fullest. And what is life to its fullest? It's life on His terms for the purpose for which He created you. Yeah. Right? We talked a lot about creation last week. Didn't get a chance, you need a refresher? Go to YouTube. Bring it back up again. Okay, but the thing is, is He's come to give us life, but much more. It's a life that is ever increasing. It is life that is vital. It's life that is stable. He didn't just come to save you from the pits of hell. He came to bless you. Thank you, God. So you in turn can be a blessing to others. So what is life? When he says, I am the life, what does he say? Well, the word, here's your Greek lesson of the day. The word is spelt Z-O-E. Now, in our society, we say that's Zoe. Your Greek lesson is this, it's actually pronounced Zoe, okay? With the emphasis on the A, not the Zoe, <laughs> okay? Zoe is the word, and this word carries so much within it. Because what he's saying is, number one, when he says, I am the life, I possess the vitality that you need. To bring vitality into your life. And what is vitality? It's strength. It's health. It's power that gives continuance of life. So it's not just a matter of breathing and giving you life. It's helping you sustain life. There you go. And to be able to experience it in its fullness. But guess what? That's not all it means. That's just the beginning. So to possess vitality, but it's also this. Possess the vitality of what? The absolute fullness of life. Both essential life and ethical life. Hmm. So he's come to breathe life, to give us life, to give us vitality. But that comes as we do what? We live according to his plans and according to his purpose. It says we live according to his methods, right? According to his governing authority. And we're going to be talking, and we've already talked a little bit about that authority, but it's also allowing him to work in power through us, and we'll be covering that next week. So to present vitality, to live the absolute fullness of life that is real and genuine. In other words, it's not an ideology. It's not something we whip up. It's not something we just try to live out, or we try to eat by with. It's the real deal. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm not only life, I'm the real deal when it comes to life. You know, what the world wants to try to offer you is, is a real fake counterfeit to what life is. They want to tell you, chase after your dreams. Become everything that you want to be. Right? The old army motto years ago, right? Be all that you can be. That's the mentality in our world. But Jesus says, when I have the absolute fullness of life, it's living it on my terms and letting the real deal shine through. What does that mean? That means even when you mess up, people can still see Jesus. Well, how's that possible? How is that possible? Because I don't know about you, I mess up a fair amount. 
And I don't, I don't know if I've shared, I've shared a number of places, but I'm going to share it again because it's just a good story and it fits so well. But I think of years ago when I worked at the post office and I had, don't you love when God uses the non-believer in your life? And I remember me and another guy, we were kind of kibitzing back and forth, and we weren't saying anything off color, but, you know, it's kind of just gnawing each other, you know, just kind of these little put down stuff like that. And from the far other end of the, of the um, post office, the guy that was the regular on the route that I was on, who was not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination, perks up and he says, Hey, Tim, thought you were a Christian. You're talking like that? Man, I don't know about you, but in that moment, the very first thought in my mind, if I can be real and genuine for a moment, was, who are you? Right? That old pharisaical attitude kind of perked up. Who are you to tell me how to live the Christian life? But as soon as that thought entered my mind, I felt that proverbial tap on the shoulder from God saying, listen up. I'm speaking through him to you. And you know what? I had to bite my tongue. And I had to admit to him, you know what? You're right. And I told him that right flat out. I just said, John, you're right. I'll be right back. And I left the room, I left the building, I went out back, and I confessed to God, and I repented from that, prayed it through, came back in, and made sure I looked at John and said, Hey John, thanks again. But I went Played over with God, I, I think we're good. And then we just, and that just went on. I, we didn't make a big deal about it, just said it and just left it there. But you know, even in the midst of our shortcomings, what changes? Do we act like the world and just try to defend ourselves? Do we try to stay in our stuff? No. When, when God brings it to light for us, you know, we are quick to get rid of it. That's day I experienced that absolute fullness of life in that ethical life that God brings in a way that it lived out in a very real and genuine way to this man. But life isn't even just that. It also carries with it that life is active and vigorous. Now there's a good word. Vigor. right? Not a word we, talk, we use a whole lot in our vocabulary in average conversation. But it carries with it almost like a bubbling over. This incredible energetic aspect. And that's the way that life with Jesus is. Jesus is saying, guess what? If you let me come and be your life, don't think for a moment that it just means you're just going to sit idly by and just wait for Jesus to come again. Your life is going to be active. It's going to be full of life. It's going to be energetic. I'm going to do things to you beyond your wildest imagination because they are not possible in your own strength. But with my strength that comes from my life, you can do this. And God calls us each to that kind of a life. And then to top it all off, this word zoe carries with it blessing. If you let me be your life, there will be blessing for you, not just in the world to come, but in the here and the now. See, life eternal that God brings doesn't begin when we breathe our last and get dropped into a hole in the ground. That's not when eternal life begins. Eternal life starts the minute you accept it. And you have that same, you'll see the fullness, the full manifestation of it when you finally with him and not 
having to deal with this world anymore. But the life everlasting is yours today, if you name the name of Christ. And the blessings of heaven are yours today, if you breathe his name. So when he said that one four-letter word, life, this is what he was saying. It was all of these things. I will bring you vitality. I'll give you fullness of life. I'll help you live the way you, I want you to live. You will be real. You'll be genuine. It'll be authentic, and people will see it. You, you'll have so much going on in your life through me. You're not going to know what to do because you have so much life going forth from you. And then you will be blessed, and you will in turn be a blessing to others. I don't know about you. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. I, I want that life. And you know what? I've got that life. You have that life. If you name the name of Christ, you've got that. Because he said, I am the life. That means he is that for you right now in this day. So let me ask you this question. Why aren't more Christians living it? And we profess it and we know, well, we'll go to be with him someday. But in the here and the now, you look at a lot of Christians, and they look weighed down, beaten up, and they look like they're barely surviving and not necessarily thriving the way that God wants them to. Now, I'm not saying smile and fake it till you make it. That's not what I'm getting at. What I am saying is this. Let Jesus actually be what he came to be in your life. Let him be more than just the savior of your soul. Let him be the life that you breathe every moment of every day. Because that's a choice ultimately we have to make. Let me take you to an example of this. And it's another passage where Jesus actually makes this proclamation that he's the life. And it's back about three chapters. It's in the book of John chapter 11. And it's actually the vast majority of that chapter, 44 verses. I'll try not to read them all. Okay, but there are some things that we need to highlight here. Because I think that what we get a glimpse of here is this life that now God wants to bring us into once you name the name of Christ. And so he starts off, and you're very familiar, you're probably very familiar with the story. It's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it starts off in verse 1 telling us, now a certain man was sick. Oh, by the way, his name was Lazarus. Of Bethany. So that right there tells you what? This is not a parable. Parables, Jesus did not put names to. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Hey, you remember those guys? Yeah. We talked about them a number of months ago. We always like to beat up on Martha, right? Because she's not taking the feet of Jesus. And she's grumbling and complaining about the fact that Martha's not helping when she's having to do all the work in the kitchen. Right? And Jesus said, hey, Mary's doing the right thing. She's doing the thing that's better. This is that Mary and Martha. It was also the Mary, it says, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister said to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So that tells us that there's a great relationship here between him and Christ. Now don't, you know, in our world, you've got to be very, very careful. And almost 
It's a shame you have to put this footnote. This is not saying that he had some sort of, you know, relationship with Lazarus. This was a friendship. This was a phileo type of a love, brotherly love. But let them know, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I don't know about you, if I was asking Jesus to come, it's like, Jesus, my brother is sick. But they go to, as far as say, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard that, he said this, the sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then verse 5 tells us, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, comma, what would be the natural reaction? He got up quickly and ran to him to bring healing. But let's hear what it really says. When he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. This man that he loves is definitely sick. Gets the word that he's sick, and then says, okay, I'll be there eventually. <laughs> then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Note that Jesus loved them all, all three of them. But he deliberately postponed his going for two more days. For one reason, to glorify the Father. He was willing to forsake his own desires, his own initial drive, if you will. Because if you love somebody and you know you've got the power to heal, in your own self you would want to go and do that as soon as you could. But he pushed that off to the side for the sake of the Father. I don't know about you, but that speaks volumes to me. That maybe the next time I'm going through a hard time, maybe instead of thinking, Jesus, where are you? Why'd you forget about me? To realize there's something in him that's paining him. To not be able to meet me right where I'm at at that moment. But there's something greater than your comfort to him, and that's doing the will of his Father. And to glorify his Father. He want, and so how was he glorifying him through that? He was going to reveal himself, not just to Lazarus, but to the entire community there. And so in verse 17, if we jump down to there, it says, so when Jesus came, he found, regarding Lazarus, that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, not that he had arrived, that he was coming, she went and met him. So she left and traveled to meet up with him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Martha got up as soon as she knew that Jesus was coming, even though it was late, she went running to him. And she went running as we're going to find, not necessarily out of excitement, but because she was filled with a lot of questions. Not disrespect, not trying to manipulate God, 
but with a general heartfelt desire to know why didn't you come sooner? But even though Martha ran to meet Jesus, Mary stayed in the house. Mary, the one who sat at the feet of Jesus, was so quick to want to get close to him earlier on, this time wasn't in any rush to go see him. Now, I don't think it's because of any anger. We don't see any sign or anything that would even point to that. I honestly believe that what we're seeing a picture of here is, as all of us have experienced in one way, shape, or form, when we've lost somebody very close to us, that you can become so overwhelmed with grief. You don't want to be around anybody. You don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to do anything. Right? And I believe this is where Mary was at. Yes, Jesus was on his way, but you know, I just don't have it in me anymore. I don't have, I, I know Jesus, I, I know he's the Son of God, but you know, right now, I'm not really feeling the life. He might be the resurrection of life, but right now, in the midst of what I'm going through, I don't sense that. The energy out of me is gone. But then back to Martha. Verse 21 says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew the kind of power that Christ had. Notice that her claim there, right at the very beginning, was what? What was her first word? Lord. With a capital L. She knew who he was. And she knew the power he had. My brother wouldn't have died if you were here. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now notice her comment. She said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now isn't this interesting? I know that whatever you ask of him, he will do. I know whatever you ask of the Father, he will do through you. But this was not something on her radar that her brother could possibly really physically live again. Why? Well, when was that time you saw somebody get up out of the coffin at a funeral service? I haven't. Not yet. I think the day's coming. I know some have. But the thing is, is that, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He's going to rise again. Yeah, I, I know in the last day he will. But then Jesus said to her, listen, I am the resurrection of life. Did you catch what happened here? I know that my brother will rise again. Future tense. But Jesus says what? I am present tense. This isn't something you've got to wait for, Martha. I am today, in the here and in the now, the resurrection and the life. Why say both? Why say both? Because resurrection is different from life. When we talk of resurrection, what we are dealing with is a word that actually is pronounced anastasis. 
Maybe you've heard that word. It's something we actually use in, they use in the medical field a little bit. But the original Greek word pronounced anastasis has three applications to it. The one is the actual resurrection from the dead, which we are going to see happen to Lazarus in just a few moments. But it also refers to rebirth. And how many know you've experienced that? You know, if you've named the name of Christ, you know what it means to be dead in the spirit, and God breathes life in your spirit, and you're able to now live life on a whole new level. But also encompassed in this is this aspect that we use in our word anastasis. It also covers with it, as in resurrection from the dead, a recovery from a debilitating condition. Now, I don't know about you, but it certainly seems like Mary and Martha need some recovery from a debilitating condition right now. Do they not? They're in a point where even though they know God, they, they know Christ, they know who He is, they find themselves in a situation in life where everything has just been sucked out of them. All the life, all the energy. And Jesus is letting them know, I am here to breathe life back into what's been lost. I'm here to bring you back, to restore you yet again. Even though you know me, I see your need to be resurrected just as much as Lazarus needs to be. Verse 32, jumping down to there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was, so this is Mary now. So Martha's gone back, told Mary, look, teacher's calling for you. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Wow. Same exact place that Martha was in. Same exact words coming from her, affecting her very differently, but still very much the same question. And then verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit, and he was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then it said, this is verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. But then verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And can I tell you right now, that's actually a misinterpretation by the Jews in that moment. Right? Now, did Jesus love him? Absolutely, we're told that up front. Of course he loved him, but that is not the reason why he was weeping. He was not weeping because he just lost somebody he loved. Number one, he knows where he was going. But secondly, he also knows he's the resurrection of the life, so he knows he's coming back. He has no reason to weep for himself. The tears and, and, and the sorrow that he was feeling was for a much different reason. We call it compassion. Mm -hmm. See, Jesus in that moment, because of how he saw it affecting these people who he deeply cared about, Mary and Martha, filled with their questions, filled with sorrow, filled with so many things, 
he had in such compassion upon them that his heart wept with where they were at. Do we understand that whenever we're going through hard times, that this is Jesus' same response? Because we know according to Scripture, he is no respecter of persons. And when we're going through those times where we don't have the answers, and we just find ourselves beside ourselves, wondering, God, what is up with this? He hurts for us. What we see happening here is four levels of compassion, really. First, he had a compassion for the people's pain. What was their pain? Their pain was, we were going through a hard time, we reached out to Jesus, we called upon him to come and meet us where we are, and then he held off coming. How many of us have been at that place where all of a sudden we're like, God, where are you? God, I, I've done what I knew to do. I, I knew that I even called on you first. I didn't wait to call on you as the last resort. I called on you as the first resort. And God, I, I just know that you're faithful. I know your word tells me you're faithful, that you will come through, that you love me. And so I reached out to you and I cried to you. And then no answer comes. And you seem distant. And I find myself looking all over. I, I can only imagine that Mary and Martha every day were going out by their window looking to see if they could see him coming in the distance. And day after day, nothing. That was their pain. Because Jesus knows he's there for us and he wants to be there. He wants to meet the needs that we have. But again, he needs to bring glory to the Father. And there's a lot more things important to him than you're in my comfort. That's called the condition of somebody else's soul. And know that sometimes we have to go through hard things so God can touch them. So God can reach that lost person. But Jesus had compassion for their pain. He also had compassion for their confusion. How many of you have ever been confused? You know, it goes along with that whole God, where are you, right? It's like I know what your word says, but I'm looking at my current circumstance. It's just not measuring up. It's not jiving. What's up with this? I'm confused. And of course, we know the enemy is the author of confusion, isn't he? Yeah. And when he sees that we're at that point where we're beginning to even question even a little bit, oh boy, is he quick to jump on that bandwagon. And to maximize it to his potential, which is why it's so important to be in the Word, so that we can continue to remind ourselves, Jesus, you're faithful. Jesus, you will come through. You know, and Mary and Martha did this because they were say, Lord, we know that had you been here, this wouldn't have happened. But yet, even now, I know that you can ask anything of the Father, it's going to happen. The reason she was able to be there is because you know she had to be reminding herself in the midst of her pain. But God has compassion for people's confusions, so I wept. He also had compassion for their loneliness. They lost their brother. Jesus loved them as well, and he could understand that pain. And he also had compassion for the people's sorrow, the grief that they were experiencing. And then it goes on to say in verse 37 and 38, some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Well, the answer to that is yes, right? But it tells us 
In the very next verse, then Jesus again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb, which was a cave and a stone laid against it. See, he mourned for the, the first time with that compassion for their pain, their confusion, their loneliness, their sorrow. And now here it tells us again he groans. But it's a different type of groaning. It's still, got, it's still laden with compassion. But the second, even though it was out of compassion, it was filled with brokenheartedness because of the hardness of the hearts of the people that were saying that. Because it wasn't in a, in a matter of trying to understand anything as it was with Mary and Martha. They wanted to know the right answer. They, they wanted to know why, you know, maybe Jesus held back. But even if Jesus didn't share that, they were okay with that. But these people, it was almost a taunting. Yeah. And that broke his heart. And then Jesus follows that up by saying, take away the stone. And now, you almost got to see the comedy in this. And I don't mean comedy isn't really ha-ha, but it's, it's just got a little bit of, well, what, what did change in our minds? Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, who was just saying, I know that if you bent him here, he wouldn't have died, says to Jesus, Lord, by this time there's a stench. <laughs> In the King James, it would say, Behold, he stinketh. <laughs> right? For he has been dead for four days. This would not be a pleasant aroma. But Jesus said to her again, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? See, once again, he had a reminder. Listen, this is all for God's glory. Trust me. Wait with me on this. See what I can do. See, God, there's no need for God to work any miracles in our lives as long as everything's going great. As long as everything is flowing along perfectly, where's the need for a miracle? But when all of a sudden we are in a situation which there's no answer, to which there's no way out, and let's face it, there's nothing that feels like there's no way out more than death itself. But if we will rely on him in those moments, he can come and work a miracle. And he let her know, I am going to take what seems totally impossible to you, which isn't even registering on your radar, that I can be the resurrection, and I will be the resurrection, and I am the resurrection, and the life, and the here and now. But to make sure you can understand this, Martha, we're going to roll that stone away. Then Jesus took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of these people who are standing by, I said this, they may believe you sent me. There's the bringing glory to the Father. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I don't know about you, I've often wondered what it was like. And I, this is one that I can't wait to get to heaven so I can sit down with Lazarus and find out what was it like on the other end. <laughs> you know, when, when, when you are there and, and, and you've now died and you're now with the Father, and you know, all of a sudden, 
or at least in paradise. And then all of a sudden, you hear Jesus' voice. And then you're sucked back into your body, back into this world again. What was that like? But Jesus yelled out three simple words. Lazarus, come forth. Now, I've heard it mentioned this is a very good thing to make note of. Why say three words and not just two? Why not just say, come forth? Because probably all the graves would have opened up. <laughs> he had to specify which one was to come forth. You know, and you stop and think about there's probably some truth to that. If, he, if, you're, if you're able to, to speak in such a way that eternity can hear you, you know? So Lazarus, come forth. And what does it tell us? Verse 44. And this is so loaded, this one verse. He who had died came out. Amen. Right? But you see how he came out. He came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Now, how many have seen the way that they wrap you up in grave clothes? I can't imagine. Somebody said maybe he floated out of the out of the grave. I don't know. Or out of that cave. But the thing is, you're bound hand to foot. Number one, I would like to have seen him try to get up off the slab that he was probably laying on. When you're wrapped up. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to get out of bed with your hands and your legs firmly together and try to get up like that? It's not an easy task. He who had died came out, bound hand and foot with great clothes, and, if that's not enough, his face was wrapped with a cloth. Now think, when he went in there, he was dead. He didn't know where the exit was. Right? But yet, I, I, I can only imagine what that would have felt like. You know, you, often you wake up, it's like you can't see anything and you can't move. But yet he came out of the grave. And when he came out of the grave, then said, Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. The same picture of what he was doing with Lazarus is exactly what he came to do for Mary and Martha as well. Because Mary and Martha, even though they knew him, they found themselves wrapped up in their own grave clothes. Mary was paralyzed with grief. Could not even come out of her house. She needed to be loosed and let go. And Jesus came to do that for her. I know he'll come and do that for us. But you know, sometimes Jesus knows we need somebody else to help us off with the grave clothes. Sometimes we need to rely on our brothers and sisters in Christ to see us step into that fullness of life. Jesus actually working through them. But the thing is, is just as he set Lazarus free, he had came to set Mary and Martha free. Because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? He is the truth as we talked about last week. But he is also the life. The problem with us not living life to its fullest has very little, if anything, to do with God. But it has everything to do with us. 
because he already proclaimed, I am. I am your resurrection. I am your life. Thing is, will you walk in it? Will you choose to set aside your things, set aside your ideas, set aside the things that make sense to you? What, you're gonna make somebody walk out of the grave? Yep. How are you gonna do that? None of your business. <laughs> right? Have you ever found God? I mean, he says that with love, of course. But really, is it any, I mean, just trust him. I mean, it really is that simple. You will never experience the, all the life God has for you until you first make the decision to simply trust. To simply give, as we sang this morning, give of your best to him at all times. And trust him with whatever happens through that. If we choose to do that, we'll be able to walk in the fullness of life. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to have hard times. But the thing is, what happens when you do? Will you lay it all down again? And just wait for him to show up? Sounds like there's another verse very familiar to us that says something along that lines. It says what? Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. That sounds like life. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk in that thing. You'll be able to practice and do life at its fullest. But you gotta wait. And maybe that's why he lets us go through those hard times just to teach us exactly what waiting is, so that he can be honored, so that he can be glorified. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you that you are our way, you are our truth. Lord, we thank you today, especially that you are our life. Not just the life that saved us from sin, but the life that helps us live each and every day, each and every moment to its possible fullest. And Lord, even when, when the, the sun's shining, Lord, but even when the storms are blowing, help us to wait on you. Help us to be in that place where we will continue to simply take you at your word and still walk in that life that you've given us. To trust you for your strength, to trust us, to trust you to be our vitality. And Lord, wait patiently for the blessing to come. Most of all, Lord God, glorify yourself. Yes. However, you've got to do that in our lives, through our lives, Lord, whether it be in, in good or whether it be in bad, Lord, glorify yourself. But God, continue to breathe life on us. And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain, where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash life on main with each of those words capitalized thanks for listening to life on main and may god bless you